Thanks for joining us for another Creating Dementia Solutions. I'm Richard Pyatt. It's a Miles for Memories program. We talk about dementia and related subjects here on this program, which is also a podcast. So thank you for being with us. Make sure that you click the like button on the Miles for Memories Facebook page so you're alerted about these episodes as well as other useful information. Today, we're going to talk about respite. Very important for caregivers and the folks for whom they care. Sherry Sherbin is back from Miles for Memories to talk with us about that. Hi, Sherry. Well, hi, Richard. Thanks for having me. So at the risk of starting at the beginning, let's just ask, what is respite? So when we talk about respite, it's really an opportunity to either offer a level of professional care for your loved ones so that you as a caregiver can have a break. There's other types of respite that are less formal, so it could be family and friends that jump in and support you. And then at the other end, there's a more extreme level, which is an emergency situation. And that's where Miles for Memories originally got started in the whole respite solution programming. Okay, so it's getting a break for a caregiver. Now imagine that if you're caring for someone who needs a significant amount of looking after, this becomes a lot of responsibility. Mm -hmm. And without a break, there are things that could happen to a person that helps derail their care, right? Maybe that's dramatic. No, it's not actually. For the individual who becomes overwhelmed with the caregiving responsibilities, some of the things that initially happen is that they stop with their own self-care. And so when they stop with their own self-care, they may miss a doctor's appointment. They may not get out and get the movement or exercise that they need. They may not eat the way that they should normally be eating because their focus is on somebody else. And the challenge with that is when you stop focusing on self, what happens when that person, you as the caregiver, become ill? Because we didn't take the time to put together some solutions along the way for both the caregiver and the care receiver. So this is integral to moving forward in whatever this new normal is in a person's family. Mm-hmm. They need to have this break, don't they? Yeah, they really do. It is important in terms of not only their self-esteem level, it can impact their immune system in a negative way. It can increase other health risk factors if they're not looking at what needs to be taken care of. They start getting sick more often, which is a challenge for the one that they care for because sure. we don't want to get them sick too, right? Because right? we're regularly in that situation. And then we fall into other situations where they may even fall into a hurt themselves kind of a scenario just so they can get a break. And so we never want a caregiver to get to that point to think that they don't have any other options and really let's support them too. What are the types of respite? So as we look at respite, one of the simplest one is an informal type of respite. So the informal level of respite could be other family members that can engage in the care. And family don't have to be adult children. They could be grandchildren. They could be sisters and brothers of the person needing care. It extends to whatever level that you want to extend that to. But it could also be friends. It could be folks that were engaged with them in their church who also want to come in and get involved and help support them. It 
could be that person that they used to just go have coffee with every morning. And there's no reason why that person can't still come over and have coffee so that you have at least a short period of time for break. So that's kind of gets into the informal level. Then we can get into more formal level of care where there's a professional caregiver involved. So it could be an adult daycare like we have at Marion E. Birch. Mm-hmm here in town, it could be a home care provider. So we work with area home care providers that will come right into that home environment so we don't have to move the person living with dementia. It could be a residential facility. Now might be the time to try some out. So a residential overnight stay could be just that. It could be one overnight. It could be two weeks. It could be a month. Let's see how this goes. Maybe you're planning to take a family vacation and thought you never could. Mm -hmm. So those respite programs at residential facilities can be very helpful at the same time. And And then lastly, there's that emergency respite scenario. So you're the primary caregiver and now something has happened to you. And what's going to happen to your loved one who's at home? When we first started the safe return programs, we had an individual caregiver. This one happened to be a man and he was caring for his wife at home who had Alzheimer's disease and he had a heart attack. Oh my. And he ended up at the hospital. He had open heart surgery. And three days later when he woke up, Instantly panic set in because his wife was at home with Alzheimer's disease, unable to care for herself. And that was his first question. Where's my wife? Mm. Has anybody provided care for her? And when he finally got out of the hospital and was able to come home, he came over to chat with us and said, can I get a bracelet too? Can I get a bracelet that says I'm a caregiver and if something happens, they need to go find my wife at home. And here's another person that we can put in this whole contact loop so that they never get forgotten. Right. Yeah, so imagine that kind of an emergency situation. Boy, that person must have just been so stressed at a time when that's the last thing they needed. Right, yeah. And fortunately, the neighbors did realize that something was going on. The neighbors were able to go over and take some steps in that process. But if we had some regular respite programming in place already, then there were be individuals, whether it's family and friends or whether it's a professional of some level, that would have been able to reach out that wasn't new to the person who was receiving care. Okay. So it prevents burnout. Yeah. Essentially. Right. Right. Yep. Are there ways that we can recognize a loved one who's a caregiver might need some respite? Yeah. So if you start looking at them in general, so there's that visual that we have of our family and friends, and you can look at someone and go, hmm, you just don't look as good as you normally do, right? So that lack of self-care should be one of those gleaming things that says, mm, you might need some help with something. But then you can look at other things about how maybe they've withdrawn from different activities that they would have normally enjoyed and loved. They might have just a withdrawal from other family members who they would have normally spent some time with or engaged in conversation with, included in communication to kind of keep them in the loop of what happens to be going on. There can be those feelings of, of irritability that just sort of like snap when you go to talk to that person and they don't respond in the same way that you're used to. Mm -hmm. So when those kinds of responses start jumping up or their conversation turns into something that's more hopeless and they feel helpless and there's just not something for them to really grasp onto that this situation is going to change. Their sleeping patterns might change. So if you're a spouse of a caregiver, you might notice that those sleep patterns have changed. Their eating habits may have changed. Obviously, their exercise and moving around habits will have changed. And just frankly, getting sick more often. Hmm. 
if you're not getting the rest and sleep and food and intake and movement and all of those things that you need as a caregiver, then gosh, you're not able to care for your loved one in the best way either. So we have to start to get folks to see that they need to look at it a little bit differently. Yeah. But certainly a number of the things that you mentioned might be interpreted by an observer as that caregiver just not being themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And that is something that's notable and to pay attention to. So one of the things that we often don't realize is that the individuals who are caregivers for somebody who has some form of dementia has the highest mortality rate oh. out of any other type of caregiver. A lot of weight on yeah, the shoulders. there is. So, you know, in some of the other programs and things that you have done in communication, there is a huge weight and trying to figure it out every day because your person with dementia is your person, mm -hmm. which is different than everybody else. And, you know, we try to help give some general information to get folks started. But the only way to really know what your person needs is to be there to live it, to experience it, and then begin to share it with others. This also helps the person with dementia as well. If their caregiver mm -hmm. has respite, here we are talking about what might seem obvious, but it's worth talking about. Right. You know, when you engage in that whole respite conversation, bringing additional folks in can help you to recognize that they're definitely getting competent level of care. Mm -hmm. Right. And what you as the care provider think is competent may not be what the professional person is doing because they were trained to do things a little bit differently. Yeah. You're learning on the spot. On-the-job learning is a little bit different. Sure. Do folks who get to a point of respite where they maybe should have had respite sooner, does that drive home the point that they need respite sooner and more often? Does it prompt them generally to set a plan for respite? Or do you see that for some people, we end up back at that really stress point again? I think, frankly, from the individuals that we've had the opportunity to do some work with, talk with, do programs with, sometimes you just don't see it until someone else goes, hey, you know, you seem a bit more irritable than usual. You've lost a little bit of weight or maybe you've put on weight. Sure. Um, you're not really just sort of taking your self-care in the same way as you would have in the past. And it's always such a hard subject to broach to go, you know, so good anymore, right? right? right. Uh, so there's a sensitive way to do that. But if as a friend of a caregiver, a family member of a caregiver, you notice this lack of care for self, it should be something for you to pay attention to and now start asking how you can help mm -hmm. instead of avoiding it. Right, yeah. right. And so a person who observes this might also be in a position to take a little bit of a greater role mm -hmm. in making sure that person has their respite. Yeah. And that's very important. Before we go, there are lots of benefits to all of this. Mm -hmm. But if you were to drive home any final points about respite and the caregiver and the overall perspective, what would it be? So if you're a caregiver... The, the biggest benefit of respite that I can see, and there are many, many, is that whole opportunity for you to be the best caregiver that you can for the longest period of time. So rather than having to have your caregiving stop because something happened to you because you were avoiding taking care of self, bringing others in to be part of this whole caregiving journey creates ultimately a greater peace of mind when you're able to open up to that whole idea. Your loved one has the opportunity to experience care from more folks 
it shares the journey a little bit more and makes it a little bit more fun. Let's just call it that. It eliminates that social isolation that many of us feel and have experienced because of COVID. So we know what it's like, and it's not a pleasant thing really to experience as you get ready to go forward. And, you know, when you have others that come into the home or whether they go to a care facility or whatever that case might be, it always adds a new layer of perspective. And if we are open to it, we can see not only the values to our loved one, we can see the value to ourself and the benefit that really just continues in a circle all the way around. Mm -hmm. And we should mention that if someone is facing questions about respite or caregiving, they can reach out to Miles for Memory. They sure right? can. Yes. And one of the things we try to do is make sure that the different hospitals, anybody that wears a bracelet, hopefully, will begin to understand that there is an emergency respite program. So if something does happen to you or your loved one, Miles for Memories is there. And we do raise funds very intentionally for the purpose of supporting an emergency respite stay or having someone come into the home for several days until we can get you reconnected to the actual services or family members to help you move forward. So we are there to help in the emergency crisis kind of a situation. All right. Good place to go is milesformemories.org, which is a resource for folks, the Miles for Memories website. So make sure you do that and click the like button on the Facebook page, as we said, because a lot of those alerts are useful information that folks can use. Sherry, thank you as always. Thank you. Sherry Sherbin with us from Miles for Memories. I'm Richard Pyatt. Creating Dementia Solutions is our program. Thanks for being with us.